What's up, guys? Welcome to The Rob Bailey Show. Um, Really exciting guest today. This might be my favorite podcast recorded so far, uh, dare I say that. Um, This podcast is with The Rasta Runner. So Dan and I have been training together for almost a year. And to ask him about his backstory and have him really just go over his life, there's so many interesting things and there's so many like little lessons to be learned, even for me, just like reminders of how I need to be operating. Uh, It's really, really good. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Um, We just sort of go over his life, so we hop right into it. But before that, I want to cover our sponsors for the day. Uh, If you guys aren't aware, I'm doing a six-week running program where... At the end of it, I'm determined to run under a five-minute mile. Um, So I'm really sort of pushing my body to the limits. Uh, I'm trying to lose as much weight as possible, and I'm perfecting running. So that's a six-week program. Enough people showed interest that I decided to throw it on dlbdaily.com. You can also go to danalynbailey.com. That's a site where Dana writes a new workout for everyone every single day. She releases exclusive content, videos, A lot of the stuff you see on her page where she's explaining complex movements or, you know, the interesting things you see her posting on Instagram right now, that all links back to her workouts that she posts every single day with all of her knowledge she's gained by turning Miss Olympia, by just being a staple in the fitness industry. Um, I've decided to throw my program on there that Dan's writing for me. So you'll get six weeks uh, of my training. You can follow along. You can run with me. Every day I post a video recapping how my run went, recapping what my little nagging injuries are and what I'm starting to do to fix them. Uh, It's a really fun thing. Um, It's a little more in depth than my YouTube content that you'll see. In addition to that, we're sponsored by Run Everything, which is our supplement line. Uh, I think the star product for me right now is AMF. It's our joint supplement. It's the supplement that started it all. We started with Onward with no intention of starting a full line. And then when Dana was training for Ninja Warrior, her grip, her forearms, and a lot of her joints from jumping from you know obstacle to obstacle, it was crushing her. And we were, I think, three weeks out from Ninja Warrior, And we realized that Dana was in too much pain to compete. So we reached out to our manufacturers. We said, hey, we don't care the cost. Make us a joint supplement that will fix Dana in the next two weeks so she can compete on television for Ninja Warrior. Um, And they did. And it it, it worked. And I'd never seen a supplement work so fast. So we decided to actually come out with it. Uh, It's called AMF, Always Moving Forward. It's something that I've lost interest in, but now that I'm running with my hips and everything, I, I've circled back around and I take it twice a day. I go heavy on the doses and I really feel it in conjunction with you know all of my other recovery that I'm doing. Um, also last, sponsored by Flagner Fail, our apparel line. Um, this is our, our 10 year anniversary year. We've been around for 10 years and I'm really proud to see how far we've come, um, especially once again with running uh, and really needing the pieces of apparel to perform, you know, our new apex shorts for men, uh, with the built-in underwear, that's what I run in every day. Um, so the underwear is already in the shorts. They're, they're nice. They, they, it's been raining every day. They get moisture. They stay super light. They're flowy. They allow me to do my movements, my stretches, um, down to my socks. I mean, my long sleeves based on the day it is, you know, running in my rain jacket, running in my new running hat, you know, our socks. It's really, really cool that I started out just printing, uh, you know, putting ink on blanks. And now we're to the point in time where we're really picking performance fabrics and we're really making, you know, quality apparel that 
you know, not only is going to stand the test of time, but also allows you to perform, you know, like we're coming out with things now that I feel like really compete with those big brands with Nike, with Under Armour, with Lululemon, like we're there with, with no question in my head, the brand is there and we're putting out some really, really cool stuff. So thanks to uh, our three sponsors and now on to Dan. Sorry if I talked about sponsors too long, but this is definitely, I think, uh, my best podcast ever. I think that Dan and I really hit it off well. He 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 brings out some good stuff in me and he's he's overall solid dude. So here we go. Three, two, one. That's strange. <laughs> it's a nervous tick. I just start uh, lisping. As soon as the microphone comes on, it happens. All right, we're rolling. We're in a podcast. Oh, we're already there. Yeah, that's how that's how I do it. Oh, good. I think that's, that's how the best. Dana start the camera. Starting. All right, Starting so we'll camera. have a little bit of video footage. That that camera only records for thirty minutes and then it shuts off. Yes, Action. got it. Action. Okay. All right, so I'm gonna take a second and press. Whoa, there we go. I'm doing uh, active recovery with a power dot on my legs. Which is crazy to me. Have that you seen this thing? I've seen it one time before, but it just it's crazy to me that we have the technology now to just do it from your phone. It's just on my phone. It's and an it, app. And no it, big deal. I put it I, I charge it with a USB. Yeah. And then you hook it on and it gives you like instructions. Yeah. Like it used to be something where I only felt like a certified professional was sure. able to put the pads on. And now I just follow the photo. Yeah. I put the pads on my calves, because my calves really hurt right now because you're uh, running me into the ground. <laughs> Literally. And then they just do this. And then I take them off when they're done after 30 minutes and it feels better. That's crazy. Dude, it's so cool. It's so, And you know what? I've had this power dot thing for uh, maybe a year and a half. Yeah. My friend sent it to me. And I just never used it because I was like intimidated by it. Sure. And uh, once I finally downloaded the app, synced them up, I realized that, I mean, Dude, they're great. Oh, wonderful. They're great. I love that. Um, hopefully, if I talk about them enough, they'll send me more, and I can give all my friends some. Hashtag send me more. <laughs> send <All right>. more. <laughs> so today, we have uh, a good friend of mine and my tr my mysterious trainer that everyone's <laughs> always confused about, uh, the Rasta Runner. In the house. The Rasta Runner. Should we just call you the Rasta Runner? You can call me that. Yeah, I like right. that. The Rasta Runner. If you follow him on Instagram, uh, gives out a lot of... A lot of really good information. Um, I really like the way that you have your Instagram set up where you show an interesting workout that like you watch and you're like, ah, that's pretty interesting. Why is he doing that? Oh, you just swipe and you explain why. Every single post. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, been doing that for what, four months? Yep. Four and, months. And people are responding pretty well. People like it. Yeah. It's, it's cool because... Um, I get a lot of messages from people saying, thank you for all that you share. You know, most people wouldn't share the finer details on some of these movements, but that's what's making the biggest difference for me. And so, um, you know, for me, that's like my oxygen, yeah. you know, because it makes me feel like, okay, I'm, I'm doing something that people really appreciate. So it's been cool, man. Yeah, it's definitely cool. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely cool. And I know that people have been um, confused, not confused, interested uh, or aware, whatever, the, whatever they are. But yeah. when they see me training completely different, yeah. completely different, I've got more responses now and mostly privately in my DMs because that's where people like to ask serious questions because right. they feel they'll get an answer. But questions about like, wait, why are you doing this? <laughs> and a lot of people now have like seen a little bit and they're like, 
does your back really feel that much better? Like, do you really feel that much better? Almost like it couldn't be true, right? Yeah, there's no, because I feel like, and, and then they don't know where to start. Yeah. You know, that's the other big thing. And I think that's, uh, I remember the, so I don't really remember the first time we met. I like to cover the first time we met. Yeah. Do you remember the first time we met? Yeah, yeah, I have a good memory, so I remember all of it. So let me, let me, we'll do an experiment. Okay, I'll cool. say the first time I think we met. Okay. Then you can tell me the real time. Okay, got it. So, uh, Brandon Horo shot you yeah. for shorts or something. We did the dry pack. Oh, the dry pack. Okay. Yep. And I think I met you in Access, but it was like very casual in passing. Yeah. <clears throat> and it was just more or less like, what's up, man? You're like, what's good? And like you were with clients. Yeah. Was that the first time? No. <laughs> ah! Strike right. one. So first time we ever met was at Horo's Christmas party. Ah, yes. Christmas party. Damn All it. Right? Christmas party. Damn it. That so, was the first time. Yeah. First time we met was at his Christmas party. And I didn't even know that you and your wife were going to be there. And so um, we had done a couple shoots at this point, And I remember going there and seeing Rob and, and, and seeing Dana there. And uh, it was just a, it was like immediately I felt like you and I just had this cool little connection of yeah. some kind. We were sitting at a round table, small round table. And it was me, you, and a couple other people. And I just remember having a really good conversation uh-huh. um, right off the bat. Yeah. And I remember uh, not... I, I asked you about your hair. <laughs> yeah, and oh, I, that's right. I asked you about yeah, your yeah. hair because I, I had recently... I was in Florida and um, a girl, Wexford House... Uh, Maria from Wexford House. Yeah, uh, we were. She has really cool dreads, and she was like, "Yeah, you sh- if you want dreads, we can do dreads tomorrow." And I started like panicking because I was like, "Well, I don't know like the requirements. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can just get dreads. I don't know if they're you know if it means something or right. if I can just be like, oh, my hair looks cool like this." Yeah. And then uh, she's like, "You know, do you want longer dreads?" And I was like, "Of course." And then she said something about. So I'd like I had just had a big long dread conversation in Tampa, and then I came back and I remember asking you about your hair, and I, the whole. T- I feel like when I'm in conversations, I'm always very analytical or analyzing. Am I saying, talking about this too much? Am I overstepping my boundary? Does this person still want to be engaged with me right now? Like, I almost drive myself crazy. Mm-hmm. And, it's uh, like hyper-conscious of that stuff. Very, yeah. very hyper-conscious, very self-aware. Yeah. And just, I don't, yeah. I don't want to be too loud. I try to, like, pull my voice back. So I'm always doing that. So sometimes I'm not even good at having the conversation yeah. because I'm so worried, like, is my posture good? Am I, <laughs> am I looking too intimidating? Intimidating? Yeah. Uh, is my voice too high? Is my voice too low? What am yeah. I talking about? Did I say anything offensive? And then also the next few hours after that, I panicked that I did something wrong. But I remember my big panic was like, oh man, I, 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 everyone talks to him about his hair and I probably just did it too much. <laughs> and I, I remember being like the next week, just like, man, I, why did I talk about dread so much? Like, I'm so <laughs> stupid. But that being said, People have questions about your hair. All the time. Do you, do you just the want time. to tell them now, and then you can just always say, go listen to Rob's podcast? Yeah, all right. So here's the, the biggest questions I get. Number one is, do you wash your hair? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know if that's what everybody wants to hear, but yes. The second question I get, the follow-up, is how do you wash your hair? I wash my hair the same way you wash your hair. Mm-hmm. Or anybody else washes their hair. I put stuff in my hand, I wipe it on top, I wash it and rinse it, and that's it. There's no difference. That's the big question I get as well. Well, how did, you, how did you start them? Did you use like egg whites or did you use motor oil? Or like, I've heard some weird things. Yeah. Man. I've got some weird things. 
No, I don't use egg whites. No, I don't use motor oil. No, I don't use any other weird lubricant or substance. It's just, I don't know. Hair just wants to do that. Yeah. You know? Which I know. Yeah. You got a couple. You get I, it. I cut them out. Oh, oh I didn't know well, that. I couldn't brush them out and they weren't organized. Oh, okay. So we found out that we have extremely hard water at the house, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. So when I sleep, I, I roll around and I don't like to brush my hair because it, it feels like I'm just like wasting time. Yeah. I get um, that. And it's been, it's been like... I think it's your fault too, being around you too much, but it's been dreading. Yeah, man. But yeah, one thing is you obviously wash your hair. And I think that yeah. a lot of the guys that I've known growing up that have had dreads, I think there's a high correlation between having dreads and then having other um, ritual, not rituals, but other things about them that like they put patchouli or something yeah, in their hair. Oil. Yeah, And yeah. they do all these different things. And yeah. And, a lot of times people with dreads, once again, not stereotyping, but have like a different smell. For sure. That you're like, oh, it smells like a guy with dreads. Yeah. And you don't have that at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to keep them really clean. Yeah. You know, I, I know some of the, I've heard some of the horror stories about dreads and, um, you know, I, I just kind of want to take it a different route. You know, in Rasta culture, um, typically dreads aren't really maintained. You know, they're just more of like a, a natural free flowing hairstyle. Um, but for me, you know, I, you know, I'd, I want to keep it kind of nice. Of course. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and I've, I've talked to a few Rasta elders, you know, in my trips to Jamaica, and um, none of them seem to have an issue with it, you know, in terms of, like, the culture there with it. There's no downside to it at all. And so getting that kind of reinforcement from them just kind of tells me, like, okay, you know, what I'm doing is fine. I don't need to do what everybody else is doing just like because... That. You know, it's always been done that way. So, and they're seven years old. I've had them since 2013. I've had them since 2013. Wow. Yeah, so almost seven years, man. I think that's when I came out with my first album. What was it called? Uh, Battle tested. I like it. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks. Battle um, tested. So what was the spark? I'm gonna just a little more hair talk. Yeah, yeah. What for was because sure. there, there had to be like a spark, right? Like, yeah. Um, there was a spark what for sure. It? All right. So prior to me actually like locking them, I had been growing my hair out for about a year. So I had like shoulder length hair. Um, and uh, the big thing for me is like I started getting more into um, Rasta culture. And it was really just kind of by default. You know, it's it's part of like my, my story, I guess. But I started listening to more music that was like reggae influenced or just like pure roots reggae music um, when I was in a really low spot in my life. And what I loved about the, the music and the culture was that it was all about positivity. It was all about upliftment and self-sufficiency and independence and, you know, standing for what you believe in and your rights. And at that time, um, I felt isolated. I was in a really low spot and I didn't have anyone around me speaking to me like that. And so when I started listening to that music, I felt an instant connection, you know, and, and reggae is a, a type of music that, that naturally will find its people. And when it found me, I mean, I just locked onto that culture. I locked onto that message. And shoot, I already had long hair, and I'm thinking, well, I mean, why not? You yeah. know what I mean? At the time, that was my thought. Well, why, why not? Why yeah. don't I just do it? Like, why don't I just take this as an opportunity to, in a way, like reinvent who Dan Holguin is and just try something, you know, outlandish and yeah. see what happens. So that's kind of where it sparked and started from. And now it's just 
Now we're just a runaway truck. I, <laughs> now it's like down to my butt. And like when I'm walking around the house, sometimes it like goes down my shorts and kind of surprises me for a second. Like now it's crazy. I had no idea at the time that it would, um, it would influence me in, in what I'm doing now. I had no idea that it would have that big of an impact on me. And uh, yeah, man, it's just, it's been a, it's been a cool experience, I guess, so far. Yeah. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting to see how you operate and like I see you move them and then like <laughs> some movements you do like I think to myself, I'm like, wow, that would drive me crazy. Like he's getting because they're like garden hoses and they're like yeah. whacking you in the face. And I'm like, how is he? Does he not notice that? I no, I do for sure. Here's a couple times when it really starts to to get on my nerves is when a I'm doing dishes because I'm a dish doer. Oh wow, gotta have a clean sink, man. Yeah, gotta have a clean sink. Yeah. So when I'm doing dishes and I'm leaning forward and sometimes they fall into the dishwater, that drives me crazy, yeah. man. I can imagine because you got like. Food. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Like nasty, dirty dishwater. Uh -huh. Now it's all in my clean hair. Man. So that's number one. Okay. The other time that it really bugs me is when I'm going to the bathroom. All right. When I got to sit down and do my business. Now, uh, my hair is down in my butt. And there's been a couple times, and maybe careful. this is weird and awkward. Sometimes it goes down into the toilet. Yeah. It doesn't touch the, the toilet water. But, but it regardless, it's, it's in the wrong place. It's in the wrong place. Yeah. So I've had to get into this habit now where, okay, I got to do some business. I got to put my hair up. So it's, there's a weird it's extra weird. step. Yeah. It's weird. And I'm just going to be completely honest here. No, that's so, fine. I never even thought. There's probably a lot of those things yeah, where like man. you don't think about it. Yeah. Or, oh, here's another one. When I'm doing push-ups because it gets in my face mm -hmm. and it drives me well, crazy. That's what I've seen. And you're like, okay, do this push-up like this. And I'm like, man, that looks. Yeah. Like a lot to yeah. deal with. Yeah, it's annoying. <laughs> all right, all right. So I see that you're able to tie them up with themselves. Yeah. So there's a gentleman in my life who influenced me a lot, uh, Rasta Steve, okay. I called him. Everyone called him Rasta Steve. Um, very unique individual. Uh, I liked the concept of him a lot. I didn't really know his beliefs or anything like that, but that was his big thing in life that he was trying to get to was – all he talked about was like, one day I'm going to be able to tie up my dreads with my dreads. <laughs> and then he was able to do it. And it yeah. was like, he just, it was the happiest day of his life. It's the hair right, you'll never lose. Yeah. <laughs> and then he cut it all off. So I don't know if he's still Rasta Steve or not or what he's doing, but Rasta he was a good Steve. dude. Now he's just Steve. That's cool. Cool. All right. So I also, uh, so everyone's just like, okay, uh, a Rasta guy with uh, dreadlocks uh -huh. and Rob's trainer. And now they're running together. I need more detail about bull riding. Ooh, yeah. Because this is something where it's like, I've mentioned it a few, and they're like, wait, <laughs> what? What do you mean bull riding? Yeah. So I've always been like a really curious kid, man, to be honest with you. Like I, um, I always want to just try different things and just see if like maybe there's something there that interests me. And so when I was 13, 14, uh, I went to a county fair in California and they had the mechanical bull, right? And every young kid that sees the mechanical bull, you know, he gets hyped up because he sees, sees his friends do it and then he wants to get on. And so I did the same thing. I'm with my buddies, I'm feeling good. And so I get on this mechanical bull and you know, I start going on this thing and I'm getting thrown around a little bit, but I'm hanging on and I got pretty good balance and I don't get thrown off of it. And everybody's screaming and yelling for me. And it felt so good. Mm -hmm. Like I had just accomplished something that most people wouldn't have been able to. 
And so I get off the bull and I'm hyped and I'm thinking in my head, well, if I can do this. That escalated fast. <laughs> I never, I've been <laughs> on a mechanical bull and I've never put together like, maybe I should try a real bull. Yeah, yeah. And so really like that was my first thought. Maybe I should try a real bull. So here's the thing. I'm living in, I'm originally from California. So I'm living on the central coast. I go back home from the county fair and immediately I'm like tunnel visioned on this thing. So how can I get on a real bull? So I started, uh, I don't I remember how I, I found out. I think it was through a friend. Come to find out, I live 15 minutes away from a world champion bull rider. Whoa. What, what, what are the chances? What are the chances? Yeah. His name is Gary Lefew. Gary Lefew is, is, I mean, world renowned for not only being um, a professional, a Hall of Fame bull rider, but also somebody who's been in several movies helping actors to, um, to, to become bull riders for the film. So he worked with Luke Perry in Eight Seconds. He worked with Kiefer Sutherland in another um, bull riding movie that was filmed in my city. So he's been around and he's seen a lot and done a lot. Yeah, so you couldn't be any closer to yeah. a better, yeah. It was crazy how it worked out. So I call him one day. Called him on a Saturday morning, like 7 a.m. I'm like, uh, hi, I'm just some random kid calling you, and I'd love to be able to ride a bull. So he says, all right, well, I've got some fence work to do here at the ranch. Um, why don't you come out, give me a hand with it, and then we'll see what we can do. So I'm just like, okay, whatever you say. So I hung up the phone. I got in my truck. I drive to his ranch, which is in Napomo, California, middle of nowhere, back in this canyon. And I work for like half a day helping him fix some fence around the bull pins. And I see the rodeo arena and I see all these massive bulls and I'm intimidated and anxious and nervous the entire time because, oh my gosh, I'm going to be getting on that thing. Yeah, it's different than the mechanical one. It's so different. Yeah. So we get done with the work and, um, and he's like, okay, you still want to, you still want to ride a little bit? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so we start going through some drills and he starts showing me the different movements and how to position your body and how to articulate your arm for better balance. And he shows me all these things and I'm starting to feel good. And he's, and I'm like, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm ready. And he's like, for what? Well, I think I'm ready to ride. And he says, no, not today. I think I'm going to get on a bull that day. And I don't get on a bull for nearly a month. Oh, wow. And so every Saturday, I would go out to his place. I would work for half a day. We would spend the next few hours going through drills and preparing and talking about the mental aspect of bull riding. And, and uh, it wasn't till yeah, about a month until I actually got on my first bull. And then from there, it just, it was like the biggest adrenaline rush. And just, I instantly fell in love with the feeling of riding bulls and my career just took off from there and again you're age wise i'm like 13 14 years <laughs> that's <old>. crazy it's <laughs> like i can't imagine yeah i can't imagine first of all calling an adult at that age i know like that's a like calling an adult and then showing up and the adult saying yeah hey you're gonna work for half a day yeah and then i'm gonna teach you something where we're not eat you're yeah. like uh <laughs> You're like Karate Kid. <laughs> Daniel San. That's exactly Daniel what you're San. like. Yeah. You show up and you clean cars for two months. <laughs> that's Whoa. it. Clean cars so you're and like, fix fence. That's, that's a crazy story. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, I don't, I could never imagine doing that uh, as a child. It was insane. And, and the whole time, like, I'm thinking in my head, 
this is normal. Like, I guess this is just what people do. Because a lot of times I've heard that from people like, I would have never have thought of that. I would have never have done that. But it just seemed so normal for me at the time. And my mom, she was so supportive of it all too. She's like, okay, go ahead and head off to this strange man's house and <laughs> ride his cows. And <laughs> you know, she was See so you in 12 supportive. hours. Yeah, right. She was so supportive. Man. So supportive. And That's super cool. Yeah. So that went on for, for quite a while. And, you know, I was able to have some really cool experiences because of that. Um, number one, just being mentored by one of the greatest bull riders of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, but that also really kickstarted the, the mental side of, you know, what I'm doing now, you know, the, the mindset and the power of positivity and, you know, really addressing negative habits, behaviors, and beliefs and how they play into our day-to-day -day life. I was exposed to that as a young age and, and I really feel like that's been a, a major thing that's helped me through the course of my life is mm -hmm. knowing how to manage and control my emotions. And I credit that to Gary because, you know, at a young age, that's where I first saw it. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a hell of a college course at 13 right, right? there. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about like little things in my childhood that like shaped me, Yeah, but there was nothing like bull riding. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Jeez. It's, it's such a mental game. You know, it's I, such a mental yeah. game. I don't think I could even walk close to a bull. <laughs> I'm scared of horses still. Yeah. <laughs> Just because there's, I don't, I don't, I can't read their emotions. I don't really understand what they're doing. Body and language. They're so much bigger than me. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. I'm just nervous. Yeah. I'm also nervous around like larger strongmen, like <laughs> Brian Shaw and Hap Thor. Like they make me uncomfortable. <laughs> Which is so, interesting because you're a big, strong human. But they're human. bigger than me. So I'm oh, always true. used to being like a decently sized person. And uh -huh. then all of a sudden this guy is eight inches on me and 400 and 100 pounds. And it's like, I don't, Yeah. are you going to hurt me? And yeah. it's the same about horses. And I can imagine bulls are even worse. Yeah. Man. So you, so you went from bull riding, you played football. Yeah. Did you do that at the same time? Yeah, I did. So I was doing both at the same time. Um, interestingly enough, when I was in high school, about the same time I started riding bulls, uh, I was still a pretty skinny kid. You know, my whole life up until that point, I was a skinny, undersized, freckle-faced kid, got bullied mm -hmm. for freckles, light skin, you know. Um, but then my sophomore year, I found football. And at the same time I found football, I found the weight room. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I realized, like, I don't have to be the skinny freckle face kid anymore. So I latched onto that thing, yeah. man. And I started lifting and I started getting teased in the weight room because I had little skinny chicken legs, they used to say. So I just went so heavy on, on squats and I, and I just blew my legs up, man. And it just felt so good to not be called chicken legs anymore. But uh, yeah, so I started, I started finding the weight room and I started finding that as I got stronger, I started playing football at a, at a higher level. And I started riding bulls at a higher level. The stronger that I got, the more agile that I got, the better balance that I had. And so that was, uh, you know, a, a big part of what really helped to, you know, move me up in, in my sports was the weight room. Hmm. Yeah. Like putting puzzle pieces together at a yeah. really young age. Yeah, for sure. But interestingly, when I graduated high school, I, I wasn't offered a, a football scholarship because I was still, I was still a little small. Mm -hmm. Um, How big? What size? I was I was five ten, maybe a hundred and uh, maybe a hundred and seventy five, hundred and eighty pounds somewhere in there. Okay, maybe. so still small, but still bigger than Austin. <laughs> yeah, I think my. Well, I'm not, <laughs> I'll keep that one to myself. Yeah, still a little bigger then. Um, but I got 
a rodeo scholarship. You can, that's I didn't a, that's know a they existed, thing. but yeah. I, I know. Same thing with, you know. Uh, so I got a rodeo scholarship. And there was a college in Colorado that was like, hey, if you want to come ride bulls for us, we'll pay for your school. Okay. I didn't have anything else going. Football yeah. wasn't really panning out. So I said, all right, cool. Let's, again, I, I think this is what people should do. I just moved to Colorado. I took this scholarship. Um, I rode bulls for, for uh, Lamar College in Lamar, Colorado. And it was a cool experience, man. I just got to, I got to go and get a degree and um, ride bulls and didn't have to pay for school. It was cool. Really cool. Yeah. So I got this degree in um, horse training and management. Really? Yeah. So I didn't know, I didn't know that about you. <laughs> I, I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. So horses. So maybe maybe you and I should, should work some horse training into I'm our I'm down, dude. Our I like I, well. I appreciate horses. There's a woman that rides horses. Yeah. And uh, there's also Dane Dana's in the room. She's not in camera, but there was a time we were in East Glacier. Oh, East yeah. Glacier is a little different. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. And we were driving uh, <clears throat> right after you pass all the little restaurants, and it was like that low straightaway where you go through grass fields. Yes. And there was two, I think they were like Native Americans. They were Native, but they were dressed as traditional cowboys. Mm -hmm. When I say traditional cowboys, it was like everything. Mm -hmm. Spurs, the jacket. Like yeah. they were in a movie. Yeah, yeah. And this doesn't happen to me a lot, but it like legit. I felt like my heart slowed down, like my breath got taken from me. You know, it was just, I. It doesn't happen a lot where something physically changes me, and it's like, whoa. Yeah. But I remember that moment, and I, I like, I stopped the car and just watched them, and they wow. like tipped their hats, and I was like, that was the coolest thing. <laughs> like nothing happened. Yeah. I passed two people, you but got all giddy. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, even right now I got like goosebumps thinking about just oh, a moment cool. of two people passing me, but like, yeah, I, I definitely have an interest in horses. I've ridden horses before, mm -hmm. but I've never really been around. I've been, I've ridden horses, but they're always like the horses that get ridden five times a day by tourists. Yeah, you know? for so, sure. For sure. Yeah, a lot know. of times that those those types of horses, unfortunately, are just kind of on autopilot because of their condition. Yeah, yeah. But horses have always been something that that have interested me. You know, my huh. dad. Uh, we always had horses growing up. You know, yeah. my dad um, had them, and uh, I think I've told you before. My dad's always been this old school. Yeah. Cowboy, you know, looks like Sam Elliott. He's always got teased about that his whole life. He's got the mustache. He's worn a cowboy hat and Wranglers and boots my whole life. <laughs> Love it. Um, Horses have always interested me, man. I just, uh, I, I love the feeling of riding them. I love the feeling of being on them and, and being on a horse and just allowing it to run full speed. If you've ever been on a horse and just let, let him or her open up Never. at full speed, it's the most liberating, freeing, smoothest feeling that, that, that I could describe I mean it's just huh. it's amazing I believe it it's a, it's such an amazing feeling and so um because of just seeing my dad with them at a young age I've always been intrigued man Dana wants to get horses to the farm yeah there yeah. was horses at our farm oh, yeah. for a long time and then when they put it up for sale they removed the horses yeah, yeah. so now there's it's just a field but there was I think th two or three horses that lived yeah. there she's always like, we should get it. I'm like I feel like there are a lot of work I don't know I don't know anybody and then boom Apparently, I know somebody with a degree in it. 
I'm here. Who never told me this, but yeah. I'll, I'll be your, your horse Jeez. consultant. All right, I got another question. Yeah. I, have, I have a lot of questions. This is my excuse. So we train together every day. Yeah. You ask me a lot of questions, and you ask me like deep questions <laughs> that sometimes when I'm either super tired or like from not sleeping the night before, or I'm like halfway through my workout where I can't breathe, you'll ask me this really heavy question. What did yeah. you ask me two days ago? You were like, uh, if there was one... Uh, so I asked Dana the same question too, but the, the question was, what is one eye-opening experience every human should have? Yeah, exactly. What is one eye-opening experience every human should have? And I'm on <laughs> lap like four, yeah. opening up my stride, yeah. like trying to get my breath, and I'm focused on, you know... <laughs> Landing midfoot to toe, leaning forward, uh, keeping everything in line because my hips are starting to hurt, my calves are hurting, uh, making sure that my arms, I'm not holding tension and like <laughs> thousand know, things. Yeah. And then making sure that like, okay, this lap is lap four. I keep doing this and I make sure I beat my time. And then you ask me that question and it's like, <laughs> this is a, it's an important question. I, f I feel all the pressure in the world to get it, <laughs> to get it right or to give my best thing. But you just, you hit me with those questions. So I don't ask you questions. You said the other day you love restoring boats. Oh, I need my more gosh. details here because this is because you, oh, you yeah. say little things like that, yeah. and I'm like, uh, and then in the back of my head, it's like three days later. I'm like, what in the hell is he talking about? <laughs> like restoring? I thought he rode bulls. Like, <laughs> again, explain man, that again. I'm just uh, I just had this like curiosity for things, and um, this all started when I was you know maybe seven or eight. My uncle Reuben, my dad's brother, had this cool old boat. It was an old fiberglass boat, maybe 15, 16 feet in length. Most people would look at it and be like, oh, that's such a piece of junk. You know what I mean? But I would, his, his wife, my aunt would babysit me every day and I would go outside and I would just hang around this old beat up boat and I would just sit in it and I would drive the steering wheel. And I just remember like picturing myself in the ocean because he was an ocean fisherman. I would picture myself in the ocean, driving this boat, being the captain. And so that sparked something for me when I got into high school and I started making a little bit of money in high school. I had a full-time job and I saw a boat just like my uncle Ruben's. What was your, your full-time job? Cause you're riding bulls, yeah. you're playing football yeah. and you're lifting okay. and you have a job. What's your job? So I worked at Taco Bell. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> That's like the most normal thing about you so far. So yeah, cool. I worked There's at Taco one Bell. normal thing is he worked at Taco Bell. Yeah. Dope. Okay. My, my mom, my mom told me if, if I'm going to have a truck, if I'm going to have a cell phone that I had to pay for it. Yeah. So I had to get this Taco Bell job to, to fund my, uh, to fund my things. Mm -hmm. So I started making a little bit of money and I see this boat that was exactly like my uncle Ruba's. And so I bought it and it was like 1500 bucks mm -hmm. and it was this 1952 Glaspar Avalon. So Glaspar is this retro boat company from that was in the 50s and 60s out of California that just made these beautiful boats. Um, and so I picked this thing up and it didn't run. It looked like hell, but I just thought, okay, what if I just cleaned it up a little bit, you know? And you know how it is, man. You you start you start like pulling back the, the Band-Aid a little bit on one thing and then you're like, well, shoot, why don't I just mm. go and try to fix this up or, you know, tune this thing or whatever. And it just came to be this like thing I tunnel visioned on. And I just started restoring this old rickety boat. And so 
before I moved from California, I had this beautiful 1951 or 52 glass power boat that I repainted. I got the engine running. I restored the interior carpet seats. Oh, wow. I found a new steering wheel. You know, I, I just, I made it look brand new and it was the coolest feeling for yeah. me to, to be able to do that. And so when I moved from California, I sold the boat. I think I actually lost money. I believe it. I think I, yeah, I think I sold it for like a thousand bucks maybe. Oh, for real. But it was cool. But yeah. It yeah. was cool. I had that experience. And then when I moved back from college from playing football, I bought another one of those same boats mm -hmm. and I did the same thing and I repainted it and restored it. And, uh, you know, it's just been like this, like a labor of love that is, in a way is a lot like a meditation. You know, mm -hmm. you take something um, from the bottom and you just restore it piece by piece. And the whole time you're doing it, it's so fun to just be able to just put all of your focus and, and heart and soul into it. And in a way it was like, uh, you know, helping me cope and, mm -hmm. you know, it was just a fun thing for me to do. So, dig that. Yeah. So old, like 15 to 18 foot fiberglass so boats have a place in my heart. When I calm myself down at night, that's what I do is I, I, Every single night, Drew and I do the same thing. We we go on either Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. Oh, yeah. And we just like look for stuff. Yeah. You know, I keep an eye on like on different markets and what certain cars, like what 911s are worth or what, uh, you know, what, for example, like Dana got the H1. Like, yeah. hey, what's the H1 market look like? And so I become like pretty aware of like depreciation and things like that. And now I'm sort of looking at boats. Mm -hmm. And because uh, Drew just bought a brand new boat and... I'm always like looking at, and I have a weird, really strange, I know nothing about them. Mm -hmm. I never been in one or around one, but the old wooden boats, for some reason, full out have all of my attention. Absolutely. And I don't know why, I don't know anything about them. And I know they're oddly expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't look like you can do much on them. Yeah. But I'm just like, man, I, I feel like I need an old wooden boat. Yeah. They're so classy, mm -hmm. you know? And now I think so... to myself when I find them, I'm like, Dan could help me fix it up because I imagine you as a boat builder now. I, I'm I'm in, 100%. Oh, wow. Okay, Dana, you hear that? We're getting a wooden boat. By the boat. <laughs> wooden boat and horses. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Yes. Yeah, those teak boats are just, I mean, they're they're beautiful, man. I mean, the history behind them, too, here in Montana is huge. You know, they go I, see, back. I don't know that. So, especially on Flathead Lake, yeah. um, they go back a hundred years, you know, when they were first kind of made uh, popular on, on Flathead Lake. And now there's so many people that have them that live on the lake. They have like a classic wood boat show in Lakeside every year. Have you really? heard of it? No, but I've seen more wooden boats around here. Yeah. Because I fell in love in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, I forget why. I forget why I was looking for boats back there. Yeah. But I came across the wooden boats and... Uh, and I was just like, man, these things are these things are incredible. Yeah. Um, I think someone had put like a 911 engine in a wooden boat. Oh, Somehow geez. I came across that, and I was like, oh, this is great. And then from there, I started following the wooden boat scene. Yeah. And uh, yeah, when I moved out here and I started shopping, I was like, there, why are there so many wooden boats out here? Does that make sense? Yeah. Lakeside, they got a killer classic uh, boat show every. I think it's every July. Okay. We we'll have to go check it out this year. I'm totally down. Yeah. Man. Jeez. Yeah, it's super cool. When. When did you start, like, the training stuff? Yeah, so training for me started in 2006. Okay. So at this time, um, I had already moved to Montana, 
And um, I went into a gym one day, you know, I'd been lifting and such. So I went into a gym one day and I'm like, hey, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to be a, a personal trainer. I'd like to help people with their fitness stuff. And um, the person at the desk said, well, do you have a certification? And I just I said, what do you mean? What's a what's a certificate? I, I don't get it. Well, you have to have a, a certification. You have to go to school in order to um, in order to be a personal trainer. And so again, just like the bull riding thing, I just got tunnel vision. I went home and I started thinking, okay, uh, we had internet at this time. Mm. And so I went online and I started figuring out how I could become a certified trainer. And I found this school in Colorado Springs, Colorado, called NPTI, the National Personal Training Institute. Mm -hmm. Well, one of my college buddies lived in Colorado Springs who was also really into fitness. So I called him and I said, Dave, there's this thing in like right around the corner from your house, we can get certified as trainers. We can do what we've always talked about, work in fitness. So he says, okay, let's do it. So three weeks later from the conversation I had with the person at the desk, I'm living in Colorado Springs. Jeez. And okay. I'm, I'm in school to become a personal trainer. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I just all think right. that, all right, this is just what people do. Yeah. They just, you want to do something, you just do it. You just do it. Yeah. So I spend the, nine, the next nine months in Colorado Springs getting certified as a trainer. After that, it's now um, March of 2007. I'm done with my certification. I move back to Montana, and I start becoming a personal trainer. I get a job at a gym, start doing my thing, realize that just being a trainer in a gym isn't what I really want, but I want to own a gym. I want to own my own business. Mm -hmm. So I start putting a business plan together. And when it comes time to present it at the bank, I found a gym that I wanted. The bank was like, all right, cool. Well, this is great, but you know, we can't lend you the money. You have no credit history. I'm like, oh, credit history. What, what's that? Yeah. Do my research. Yeah. I guess I got to have credit somewhere. I have to have a history of that. So that's kind of where it all started was, was uh, in 2006 and seven. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Why Montana? What? So you moved here and then you moved back, but yeah. you're originally from California. Right. Okay. So in 2003, uh, my mom lost her job at the school district. They had a big budget cut. Her position was also cut. Huh. We had an uncle that lived here. And my gotcha. uncle was like, well, why don't you just come live up here with us? Mm -hmm. My mom wanted to be closer to her brother. So it just kind of felt like the, the natural move. Mm -hmm. So the summer of my junior year of high school, we moved to Montana. I leave California. I try to make a, a relationship work with, you know, my high school sweetheart that I'd been with for three and a half years already. Oh, wow. It doesn't end up working. Mm -hmm. I start hating Montana. Like, I can't believe we left. Yeah. My, my life is over. Yep. You know, and, and I'm in Montana my senior year with all these people that I don't know. So I automatically, like, have this wall up against Montana. Yeah. I spend my, my senior year in, in Montana graduate high school, and then I'm out on that rodeo scholarship. I'm out of here. Peace. So like a month after graduation, I'm living in Colorado, mm -hmm. going to school. So it was after that, uh, that stint where I was doing the horse training and management in the college rodeo that uh, I moved back to Montana for a minute. And that was in 2005. With a different outlook on it. Different outlook. Gotcha. Things are better. I'm working at a ranch in Whitefish as a horse trainer. This time around, I'm making really good money as a horse trainer because mm -hmm. apparently they pay a lot of money for that. Yeah, especially was, in Whitefish. Yeah. yeah. And I was doing really good. I was really enjoying it. Um, but then realized that 
I don't really want to train horses all day, every day. You want to train people. I want to, right. <laughs> yeah. And that's something else that I realized too, is like the, the times in my life where I've had jobs where I'm coaching or training or helping, that's when I feel most on purpose. Mm-hmm. When I worked at Taco Bell and, and uh, when I was like picking up dog poop for $9 an hour, that didn't really fulfill me. But when I was helping someone or, or something, mm-hmm. that's when I was on. I like that. Yeah. And so from there, I just started working more into fitness. And when I started helping people and noticing how much of an impact I was having in their life, okay, I'm on to something. Yeah. And so I've been doing that, you know, since kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I dig it. So you, so we work together as, um, I'm going back to the, you ask me interesting questions. Yeah. Um, I saw you, so, you know, I saw you as, uh, he, had, he trains at, uh, Access. Access, but no, I just remembered something else. American Ninja War- <laughs> Before we even get into that, <laughs> let's just add another weird thing into the mix. Yeah. And let's just talk about American Ninja Warrior because yeah. – so we talked about uh, bull riding. Yeah. Uh, we touched on football. We touched on um, Montana, California to Montana to mm-hmm. Colorado. Uh, we talked – uh, boat restoring. Yeah. And, and I forgot to touch on American Ninja Warrior, which the first time we, we ran at that track, um, the football team was out there. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, Like yeah. high on school football day. team. Yeah. And they were like, yo, that's the ninja. That's the ninja. <laughs> and I was like, that's they so no cool. no idea who, who you were. Which I'm fine with, yeah. man. I was just pumped that I was running with the ninja. I was like, yeah, I'm out here running with this guy. <laughs> so how did uh, – I need a little bit of backstory on – the American Ninja Warrior, and then you finished round one. How far did you get? Uh, I finished. I finished the qualifying rounds uh-huh. my first time, and then uh, I went into the the um, the final round and fell. Okay. Yeah. So Which Ninja, there's nothing wrong with that because the final round is crazy. Yeah, it's tough, yeah. man. It's super tough. But how did you? How, how did that even? Like, what was the moment you were like, you know what, I'm going to start training like this and then decided I'm going to try out for this show. So I had a client of mine who came to the gym one day right before our session and she's like, Hey, check this out on, on her phone. And so I start looking at her phone and she's like, this is like a show on TV. It's a, it's called American Ninja warrior. And it's a bunch of crazy obstacles, monkey stuff. I think you'd be good at it. And so I'm starting to watch this video. And, and as I'm watching this person run the course, I'm thinking like, you know, well, I, th- I think I could do that. I mean, maybe that, but ugh, I don't, I don't think I could do that one. And so again, that spark, that I just started tunnel visioning on. So I started building little obstacles that I would see from the show. I started going to local playgrounds at at schools and just monkeying around on stuff. And what I realized quickly is like, I have some, some raw abilities here. I mean, nothing refined, but you know, I have a little bit of grip strength. I got a little bit of athleticism through this. And so I started thinking, well, what if I just started building bigger obstacles? What if I just started doing more of it? And I started to find that, like, I think there's something here. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really know what I was doing. I went online to the website. I emailed somebody at Ninja Warrior. And I'm like, hey, I'd love to apply. And they said, well, here's the website to do it. Coincidentally enough, it was like right around the time that they were um, that they were casting for season seven. And this was back in 2015. Okay. All right. So 
I applied. I did their two and a half hour process of the online yeah. part, which is it's rigorous. We've we did it for Dana. Yeah, right. And you got to send in the video. Yeah. And so I sent in this super chintzy video with like me in the background. Dreads were swinging. It was super windy on top of a mountain. And I just remember watching it before submitting, thinking like, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. There's, I'm just this like random kid from Montana. At that time, nobody from Montana had been on the show. Okay. And so I just clicked submit and I just let it go. And to be honest with you, after I submitted, I was so nervous and afraid. I stopped training for maybe a month. Oh, interesting. Because I was in my head, I was like self-sabotaging. Yeah. Like, okay, there's no way. There's no way this is possible. One day, I'm driving home from the grocery store, and I get this call from a 929 number. And anybody listening who's been on Ninja Warrior around the time that they start doing callbacks know that the 929 number, you're on. It, it's, a, it's a wrap. You're on the show. I had no idea. I was almost not going to answer it. Picked it up right at the end. And they're like, hey, this is so-and-so with Ninja Warrior. Congratulations. And so I pull the car over immediately. <laughs> and like you, like the, the anxious feelings and like the intensity and the adrenaline is just flowing, man. And they're like, we want you to be on the show. Congratulations. And I just remember like this overwhelming feeling of joy. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, this is, is this really what's happening in my life right now? So, yeah, that's where it started, 2015. And so we need you to report to Kansas City, Missouri in four weeks. Can you be there? And I'm just like. Of course I can. Of course. Yeah. I'll be there tonight. Man. <laughs> I'm on the next train out. <laughs> so I think the coolest thing about all these things is uh, I think similar to how I do things, and I think a lot of really successful people do things are you you see something you want to do and then the next step is an action step yeah you know there's there's not there there's a little bit of research but your research isn't to slow yourself down or to like try to find something to be like see i knew i can't do this yeah it's like well no i need enough information so that i can keep moving forward and yeah. and, and do this and i think that a lot of people that do stuff that's what they do they they get an idea of what they want to do and then they like, they just run towards it. Yeah. And then they get there and like, that was awesome. Yeah. And they see something else and they're like, let's do that. And yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things that I see people do is they don't jump right in an action step. You know, they, they, they sit around and they try to gather up all their fears and all their insecurities and, and then put that in front of them and be like, I can't get past that and wall. And here's why. And here's why. Here's my, this is <laughs> doing my research. Here's all the reasons I found why I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. And, and everybody does cool stuff. It sort of sounds like, you know, they don't know why, but yeah, I want to do something. So my next, it's an action step. Let's just, go. You just got to do it. Even if it's like not uh, a perfect step, you know, and that's something that, that I'm sure you've experienced at times too, is like perfectionism and trying to have all of the stars lined up before taking action. For me though, I found that the solution to perfection is just taking imperfect action. Yeah. And that's, I think really what's helped me to, um, to make moves like that is to just go, just yeah. do it. Whatever happens, you know, adjust on the fly. Yeah. And I feel like my whole life has been just adjusting on the fly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 my favorite thing to do. It's just yeah. like, no, let's just do this right now. Let's yeah, just do it. Right now. You know? Yep. And I, I I found the more I talk about things, the more they just never happen. Sure. You know? Even this most recent, hey, let's run a mile in six weeks. Like I brought it up to you that 
that day. That day. I don't know. It just, I thought about it. Yeah. I went and I told them, when I say them, I mean like my crew at work. Yeah. And like there's some eye rolling and stuff. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to stay quiet. And then the next day I came into work and I was like, so this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Like there, I didn't look up how long does it take to get your mile faster. I didn't do anything. And it was like, no, Monday we do my baseline and we go. Yeah. And you're like, all right, cool. And like <laughs> I got messages, people, people telling me they're like, someone should tell your trainer that six weeks isn't enough time. And I'm like, no, I told my trainer that six weeks was my time. Yeah. And I like, went right to planning. Yeah, it. And you're like, okay, cool. Let's do it. And I think that's the difference is I didn't get on the internet and say like, okay, who else is doing this? Yeah. Is this possible? What's you realistic know, for me? What's realistic? Yeah. What do I need to do? It was just like, no, I know what I need to do. I need to run and I need to recover. Yeah. Dan will handle the running. I have an understanding of the recovery and we'll just do that. Yep. And then, we're both, I think, in the same mindset of like, yeah, going towards it. Yep, absolutely. So a lot of the runners out there, though, have messaged me like, not realistic. I don't, okay, that's even better. Yeah, <laughs> like, thank you for your concern. Yeah, I, I love that it's not realistic. Like, why would I want to set a realistic goal yeah. that everyone's going to be like, of course you're going to be able to yeah. do that in a year. Um, <laughs> but I think that, yeah, it's, it's just coming up with something and then just running towards it. Yeah. And you learn everything you need to learn on the way. And I just, I think there's something to be said about running towards something as audacious as that or getting on a bull for the first time or starting a clothing line with no experience beforehand on how to do that. Um, I think that there's a, a, a level of confidence that you create in yourself. And once you do that thing, the next thought for me is always, well, what else could I do? Mm-hmm. How else could I improve my life? How else could I do something that's more purposeful? You know, how else can I make an impact for others? Which that was almost my, that was, that was what I was trying to get at when I answered the question when you asked me and I, I was already running in a mile. You had a great my, answer My too. first one was like, yeah, what the human body could do, but yeah. that's because I was running and that's how it related at that moment. And, yeah. I, and I said, wait, no, it's like what, what you can do as a person. Because yeah. I believe that, dude, everyone's capable of anything. Yeah. It's just like, I think, I think everyone's attractive just in their own way. And you just need to find your look or find how you're comfortable and then how you carry yourself. And it's amazing how like that all comes together. And I think that everybody has special traits. Sure. I mean, you can, you can force a profession. You know what I mean? Like if, if I really wanted to, I don't want to be a lawyer, but if I really was like, I'm going to do the lawyer thing, I could be yeah. a pretty decent lawyer yeah. just by like trying really hard. But there's things that naturally people fall into that they're the best at. And I think a lot of people hesitate and they hesitate and they, and they never know what they're capable of. And I think that when you do so, and I think you lucked out early. I, I say luck, but whatever. But it's that getting on the bull and realizing like I didn't die. Yeah. You know, and I think it's something I used to tell people in camps and I was like, you're not going to die in the street. Like dying in the street, it happens, but it's very hard for it to happen. Like you can spend all your money, you can go bankrupt, you can not have any friends to sleep on their couches, and you're still sort of going to have the opportunity to be okay. Yeah. Like it's not the end of the world, worst case scenario. And I think if people can actually put all their effort towards something, realize that like roadblocks are beautiful because that's your opportunity to pivot and be creative. And the more you do that's, if I had to say like, Rob, what are you good at? I'm good at pivoting and being creative. Yep. Like that's why I'm successful. I'm not smart. I'm not, 
like I don't understand tax law. I don't like <laughs> even the thing that I did this morning that I'm not ready to pull on the podcast about opening that thing up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> but like I have. So anyway, I, we opened up the warehouse gym this morning. <laughs> okay, so you just gonna let it out? Yeah. Uh, so I'm just I'm waiting for the police, man. I don't I don't know. It's whatever. By the it, time this is released, this is America. I don't. I, you know, I'm sick of it. And but whatever, we'll get into that later. But what it comes down to is, I have the confidence that I know how to get out of shit. Right. And I think when you put yourself in situations that aren't safe and where you're in shit you realize like, oh, I can get out of this. Because I've done it before somewhere else. Exactly. And then once you realize it translates, yeah. all of a sudden you're, you start, you, you get that confidence, you start realizing that like, no, I don't need to be smart. I just need to not panic yeah. when I hit a wall and then figure out like, realize that there's 15 different ways yeah. around that wall. And if I can mark it that way right, or if I can, it's going to be better. Yes. It's going to be better than the easy road. Cause if yes. the easy road, you just get there and you're done, you're like, well, I didn't learn anything. And you have no appreciation for the ground that you just covered. Exactly. So I think that, I think that my biggest, my biggest strength is being able to pivot. Yeah. 100%. Yep. And, uh, I think once you, re for me, once I realize that I'm always able to pivot, I'm always able to just sort of get out of a situation or use it to my advantage. I can do anything and you become dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I can do, I can, I can, I can do anything. I'm capable. And I, I, I say that I was on a podcast with somebody else and they're like, well, you can't, uh, you, you can't do, be whatever you want to be. It was, um, Andy stump. Mm -hmm. okay. And I was like, and he was, he did his little speech and he's like, you know, I don't care. And I was like, I, I completely disagree with that. Good. And he's like, no, you couldn't play in the, in the uh, NBA right now. And I was like, <laughs> like, I, I can't agree with that statement. Sure. Like, even if I was shorter, I don't know. I'm, I'm six, three. So I'm like, I have a height thing. I'm determined. I can learn really strong foundations. I'm getting more athletic. I'm a little old, <laughs> but what I said to him and I was like, I also, in my head, it's like, yes, I can instantly, but that's because programmed in the back of my head, I know that if I liked the NBA that much and I really, really went towards it, at some point in time, I would end up pivoting and I'd be in the NBA, but I just wouldn't be playing on the court. Sure. So I'd somehow, basketball would become my life and I'd virtually be a player. I might be making the same money and it's all because as I hit those roadblocks of like, no, you're not allowed to do tryouts, I would pivot and do something else and pivot and, and, and I'd get there. It would just not be, the I wouldn't be, you know, guarding LeBron, I would be doing something else where yeah. I was in the NBA. So even if it wasn't linear, a pivot is still forward progress. Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely. And even if it's, it's six pivots in a row, you're still moving forward towards something. And knowing that you can pivot, I think is that strong thing. So sure. I think that's to answer the question of like w the biggest realization everyone can have is like, you need to put yourself through that. And once you realize that you can pivot, yeah. you're, like the limitations go yeah. away. The intelligence, the money, the I don't have exposure on Instagram. Okay, well, learn how to talk to people better. Sure. And then the people with exposure, once they want to talk to you, they'll do anything for you. Absolutely. You know, like Dana, 90% of the stuff she shares is because they've approached her properly. And then I get, she'll get people that approach her improperly, like, how much for a share? <laughs> And she's like $15,000 because she doesn't want to share it. <laughs> sure. But then someone will send her, you know, something stupid and she's, she wears it every day or she posts about <laughs> every day. And they're like, 
how much did you get paid for that? Nothing. They yeah. approached me properly. So all of a sudden, money is not the limiting factor. It's, no, get better at conversation, yeah. which is easy Your approach. if you want to. Sure. And I think that it'll, it'll go back to also is like, raising your social awareness and your emotional awareness, you know, and going back to the mindset on things we were talking about earlier, if you can cultivate that and you could learn how to speak to people, or if you can learn how to, um, to read a room, even like you're going to have better relationships, mm -hmm. you're going to have more opportunities because of, because of those, those simple skills. Well, I say simple, they're not really simple, no, they're not. but, no. but they become <clears throat> simple. They become simple if you practice them yes. enough. Now, we're, we're doing like a really good timeline. Now, going into your coaching, right? Uh -huh. So when I say that coaching, it's because I consider you my trainer yeah. or my coach, but I, I like more the word coach because trainer, trainer shows up and it says, okay, 15 push-ups, you know, pull-ups, blah, blah, blah. Yes. There, you're good. Coach, I feel like they coach you through things. Yes. And that's the one beautiful thing about what you do, which I feel like that's – Fitness to me is very special. Yeah. Um, obviously, I, I spend two hours a day doing it. You know, I have a supplement brand, apparel line that's geared towards fitness. Everything in my life is about fitness. And I think one of the most heartbreaking things is when people take fitness for just fitness. Like they're like, ooh, I'm going to start doing that because I want to look like this. And it's like, oh man, you're missing all the, the beauty. Yeah. yeah. And you're, you're, and you're going to be bummed out because it's not that easy to look like that. And if you don't love it, you're not gonna look like that. I think one of the cool things is with you being a coach, and I want you to explain a little bit more what your coaching uh, encompasses, but with you being a coach, it's not just, hey, you have 15 push-ups, you have this. There's the whole other side to it. Yes, and that's something I noticed too when I first started training in 2006 is I would be working with people in a gym and I would see them say for an hour at a time or whatever, and a certain amount of time would go by and they would start looking and feeling really good. You know, they would tighten up, they'd be stronger, they'd be all of these things. But here's what I noticed. When we would stop working together, a lot of times I would see those people around and a lot of times they had gone right back to where they started. And I noticed something really important and that's that we only addressed the physical side of things. Because personal trainers, if you're just working in the gym, you don't get to really touch on, on the mindset. You don't really get to touch on the mental piece of a physical transformation. You just don't have the time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really difficult to coach somebody while they're doing their push-ups or whatever it may be. So I started noticing that, and I made a massive shift. And what I started doing was focusing on the mental piece. I started digging deeper with people on their habits, their behaviors, their beliefs, and actually getting clear on why they're actually coming to me in the first place, why they may be overweight to begin with, or, or what those obstacles may be, and why they can't seem to pivot. So when we started addressing that as the foundation versus just the physical piece, everything changed. Mm -hmm. And now when I see people that I'm not working with anymore, they look great. They feel great. They're smiling deeper. They're living a more fulfilling life mm -hmm. because we addressed the mindset behind it all first. And that's, that's the power behind all of this, having that be the foundation, not just how long you can plank for yeah. or how many push-ups you can mm -hmm. do. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> the mi yeah, it's... 
the, having the mindset behind it, and that's something that I didn't have for the longest time. I, I don't know when my little revolution started yeah. and all these changing, and it's not just the way I'm working out. Even uh, when I start doing bodybuilding again, which I'm going to, I, yeah, I yeah. love it. Um, it's still the understanding of like, why am I doing this? It used to be fueled by hate. Like all of my anger, all of it was just mm. that youthful, mm -hmm. you sure, know, that testosterone yeah, is flowing, man. Just Absolutely. angry. And Dana was like, "Well, I don't like working out with you half yeah. the time. Like you're so <laughs> angry." And I'm I'm past a lot of that now. I'm I'm. That's why I think I'm doing these big blocks of you know the athletic performance training and now the running and then whatever I decide to do after that is it's I, I want to learn more. Yeah, I want to learn more about like okay, how do I respond to this? And that's my favorite thing with the running right now. Yeah is you, I don't, I've, I've never done any other exercise where you get into that much of a flow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like if you were to tell me, we've been running two weeks, if you would have told me three weeks ago that I'd be running around a track and at 27 minutes in, we're going to pick the pace up. I would have yeah. thought to myself, like, I'll, I'm going to say no. Yeah. Or I'm going to fake an injury. Yeah. Or something. I don't know. <laughs> Call time out or pretend like I have to go to the bathroom yeah. or something. But, like, the, when we ran this morning, it was that last lap. And I wasn't thinking, like, oh, this is my last running lap or my last faster-paced lap. I wasn't thinking, like, oh, we're not doing two. We're only doing one. All those mental games. I was just hyped to do another fast lap. Mm -hmm. Like, that last 10 yards in, in so we run, we run two, two paces generally on these days. We, we run for 35 minutes and we run a, a slower pace, which is today was a little bit under two minutes. Mm -hmm. So it was like a 150 per lap. Yeah. And then when we step it up, I don't know how fast, but we're, I'd, I'd say we're at like 130 per yeah. lap. So we're moving. We're running 130 is a six minute mile, even, right? Yes. So we're running which is my mile time. We're running that lap. So it's a six minute mile pace versus like an eight minute mile pace. And that last 10 yards when I know that, okay, when we cross the line, we're going to the six minute mile pace. I'm now excited because I'm like, yes, I get to work on my longer stride. Like my breath works about to kick Ooh, in. Yeah. Like, and we're even 27, 30, 34 minutes in. And I'm like hype. For that. That's cool. That's crazy. That's cool. And like, and my body's starting to just do what it's supposed to do. And it's, it's such a cool feeling. Yeah. And the reason I think I'm also so excited about it, talking about it now is like, I, cause I know that that's not just applying to running. Yeah. That's going to somehow hit in, in the rest of my life and it's going to affect something else really, really well. And back when it was just releasing anger and it was like, Fuck yeah, getting bigger. Fuck these weights and ba ba ba. How is that going to translate? And relieving stress, I get it. Yes. But how is that going to translate to the rest of my life when, like, right. when I'm in a time when I need to call on what I've learned from the weight room? I've learned that smashing it, lifting heavier, being angrier is better performance. Makes it better. <laughs> ah, I don't yeah. know if that's the yeah. right. You know. Yeah, because so, it all translates. All that energy will yeah. translate. So now it's, it's okay, cool. Now I'm like excited for the hard parts. Now it's like, oh no, if I control my breath, if I control my legs, if I control my arms and I do what I know works and I focus, I can get through this and I can be more excited, you know? So like, I'm excited to see where that shows up. I don't yeah. know where it's going to show up yet. It's probably showing up somewhere, but yeah. 
you know, and that's why I'm experimenting with all these other training things. Now back to training with you, I've never done hit before. Mm -hmm. I've never been done like to the, the Tabata hit. Yeah. And I remember the first time I did that with Dana, or I did that with you and I told Dana, I was like, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I was like, he makes me dead sprint on a treadmill. And then by the time that my body starts like really, cause your, your body like doesn't feel the fatigue while you're doing it. Correct. It shows up during your break, and then by the time it hits maximum, you're starting another round. So it's like it's almost like waterboarding. Like you, it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm dying. I'm, I I literally can't do this yeah. because I'm not getting enough breath, and I can't. And but you know, I'm. That's something that I've done my whole life. Is I've trained to do. Like no, I'm I'm going to listen to this person. Whatever they tell me to do, I'm going to do right now. Right. Which, I think team sports, football, my dad, like that's so important for someone to do because Absolutely. being able to follow directions and realizing that whatever I'm about to do is my representation of me. Yes. So this is going to show you who I am right now. Yes. So if I take it easy or I fake it or I, I get too tired, I can't do it. Dan says, Oh, that's who Rob is. So like when I can't breathe and you're telling me I can, I trust that I'm not going to die because yep. you wouldn't kill me. That wouldn't make sense. And then it's also my opportunity to show you, like, well, watch me get through this. Absolutely. So you prove it to yourself. You prove it to other people. So there's so many different cool things happening. And the first time I did, I went home and I explained to Dana. I was like, yeah, it's so wild. Like, all these things. How is that going to translate to the rest of my life? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, all those little lessons in Tabata, how they translate. And that's, once again, it goes back to it bums me out when people want to do that because they want to get abs. Yeah. It's like you're missing the really cool part. Absolutely. And what's what's cool, too, is when you can take direction without ego, um, it's really a, a, a beautiful experience for, for both of you. You know, when we can check the ego at the door and just put our trust in somebody, which I think for a lot of us is really difficult mm -hmm. to do, is to, to, to relinquish power and trust to somebody else. Man, like that's that's made such a big difference for me, which is, you know, it's why I coach is because I know that if I can work with somebody who knows more than me, who is better at me than something or has already created the results that I want to have, and I can just do that without ego or without any kind of judgment, then I could do that too. But, but I think a lot of times we, we don't do that. We're afraid to relinquish mm -hmm. that power it's and hard. That trust. It's so hard, especially for type A folk, especially for high-performing people or business owners or entrepreneurs, because we're just so used to having that control. But like that's the beauty in this is when you can become coachable, man. I mean, you're, you become a weapon, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I, I think is pretty popular right now in the entrepreneurial world What's uh, that? with people hiring business coaches oh, and, sure. and all this stuff. And I, sure. there's also a lot of snakes out there. There's a lot of people trying to, right. trying to oh, you're going to be, you'll be rich in six months and right. do all this. And I always looked at the, uh, at the coaching thing of, the coaching thing as silly. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, business coach. Oh, let me read a business book. And I read a business book and I, I spend four days reading a book and I'm like, I already knew all that. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. not, this is all common sense yeah. stuff. And I think I went through like three or four books and I was like, I started to get really, really frustrated with books. And I was like, why am I spending all my time reading these books that are telling me what I already know and they're, they're, they're citing each other and it's just yeah. this, you know? And then I started to realize like, oh, I'm not 
reading these to learn new things. I'm reading these to make sure that I remember things. It's a good point. So that I become a lot more familiar with rules and guidelines for myself. And then also to validate myself so I'm even more confident making decisions. Then all of a sudden I, I, liked, I liked going back to the books because I, I looked at them completely different. That's you great know? awareness. Yeah. That's great awareness. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I got past the anger and I, I, I moved on to like, oh, no, no, no. Like, and even right now when I'm feeling really down, I'll put on a leadership book and I'll listen to that. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I know I should be doing that to my employees. Like, I, I should be buying them water. Yeah. Like, that's something that, you know, making, and then making sure you hand it out to them. Yeah. And they're like, wow, the CEO. And it's like, well, yeah, I know that. And I'm like, wait, am I doing that? Uh, Damn it, I'm not doing that. Check. Because I know everything. Yeah. But they, it, yeah, exactly. It checks you. Yeah. Now, that going into the training, for example, that we're doing together, I know how to run around a track, Dan. Mm-hmm. I know how to do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, as I'm doing it, and you're like, ooh, check your tension. And I'm like, ooh, why am I holding everything in my traps right now? Like, <laughs> yeah, man. I know, I know it, but having that coach there to check you, all of a sudden you realize the value in it. And now I'm actually like, the big thing that I'm sort of floating around, I haven't taken the leap yet, is thinking like, okay, when do I hire, when do I hire a business coach? You know, when do I hire even a peer that looks like, that looks at something a li- just a little bit different? Yeah. Or is there to say like, yeah, you're right. Because yeah. I don't have anyone telling me I'm right. A lot of times it's me thinking at night and then the next day, like thinking about it more. And then it just takes my brother being like, eh, I don't know. And I'm, all of a sudden I'm done because my one check has been like, oh, I don't know. That's all. Uh, yeah, so yeah. the coaching thing is a beautiful thing um, that like you've opened my eyes to. Wonderful. It's really, really cool. I think that a lot of times too, and maybe you experience this, was we see coaching and mentorship uh, at, as it coming in as, as like a cost, almost. What is this gonna cost me? Uh, yeah. and, and by framing it that way, I think that um, you know, it, it creates a wall there. Mm-hmm. It creates a, ten, like a, like a tensive wall. Like, and we start putting our excuses and reasons why we shouldn't do it. But I think what really helped me was when I started seeing coaching as an investment. Mm-hmm. I started seeing coaching as an opportunity for me to get better at something. You know, much like I would invest my time at a gym or I would invest my time um, with putting money into an account for my future. When I started seeing it as that, everything changed for me. And it's the same reason why I have a running coach. Mm-hmm. I have a, a business coach mm-hmm. is because I know that if I follow advice and I listen and I take action from this person, then I'm going to get to where I really want to be. I'm going to be able to impact the lives of so many more people. I know I can't do this thing by myself, but for again, type A people, high performing people, we want to do everything ourselves, and it doesn't always work that way. Mm-hmm. No, at, at all. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I normally only do an hour. We're at an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Went by really, really oh, fast. Right? Okay. Yeah. That was a good one. I, yeah. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I want you to tell people where they can find you. Yeah. Um, where they can find you, I guess, website? I do have a website. Yeah, I do have a website. So I'm most active right now on Instagram. Okay. Um, you can find me at Rasta Runner underscore. There's underscore there. 
Um, but then I'm also on Facebook. You know, you could just look me up by my name, Dan Holguin. Um, but either way, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and there was like a little takeaway that, that you really appreciated or whatever, send me a message. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys that will respond to everything yeah, on there. Response. Yeah. So send me a message. Uh, let me know if you like the episode. But uh, yeah, I'm also on a website too. I, I think it's just danholguinfitness.com. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, you have a book. I do have a book. Okay. I do have a book. It's called Peak Performance Past 30. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a book that um, what I've done is basically taking the eight biggest things that I see high-performing people and entrepreneurs uh, that tend to fall behind, that they tend to neglect. And I've taken each one of these eight things and packaged it in a way that explains the problem and then gives the solution. It's called Peak Performance Past 30. And you can find that on my website. Just a few bucks, but I, I think you get a lot of value out of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you also have. Are you still doing the? Free, you still have the free hip mobility program? It's on the roster runner page. Yeah, so there's like a link in the bio that you can click and it'll take you to it. Okay. Yeah. So some some pretty cool some pretty cool little programs that yeah. are. Uh, I've realized same same thing. I knew I wasn't flexible. Yeah. And but I if I do yoga a little bit, I start getting flexible. Yeah. But what I've realized is a lot of the positions that you have me get in. I'm like, wow, my hips are, are not okay. <laughs> and like, there's a problem here. <laughs> yeah. There's there. I need to address this. Yeah, like, yeah. and a lot of them are, I didn't even know my hips should bend that way. And then yeah. when I see yours, you know, things that you can do, I'm like, Oh, I want to be able to do that because I feel like when I'm 60, if I can do that now, I'll need better when I'm 60. No doubt. So it's addressing a lot of those little problems and like, you know, the changing, the training, the, the, all of a sudden, uh, a lot more core strength. My back's loosening up. I'm taking care of myself. And the more I realize I'm taking care of myself, the younger I feel. Yes. It, you know, I don't want to sound corny and say I found the fountain of youth, but there's something there. Yes. With with diet changes, with flexibility, with self-care, with mental understanding. That's That combo right there is the recipe for the fountain of youth. Yep. And I noticed too, when I stopped lifting just big weights and I started really putting my focus into mobility and flexibility and those things, everything just got better. You know, I I started waking up with less back pain, weird aches, uh, and I just started feeling younger. I just started feeling better. And I think that all of us, whether we're male or female, we all want to feel athletic no matter how old we are. We still Mm want to be able to have a spring in our step and be able to you know, run in the backyard and chase the kids around or, you know, be chased by what, whatever. Yeah. We still want to be able to have that ability. Yeah, it's cool. And I think that focusing on these more functional type of movements that you'll find on, on my feed um, will allow you to do that. Yeah, and I, I can say that from someone who uh, prided himself on, you know, my deadlift or being 300 pounds or whatever I was, um, I didn't realize how much I missed feeling like a kid yeah, or right, right. Um, the things you don't appreciate, like, like I've fallen down a couple times recently, or I've like jumped out of a pickup truck weird or just little things like that, that we do in our everyday life where I land. And then I realize I'm like, Oh, if this was a year ago, I'd be <laughs> injured right now <laughs> or I wouldn't have recovered from that. And now realizing that, Oh no, like, Oh, my training is making me able, like maybe I'm not, I'm not, you know, hanging off bridges or doing standing backflips, <laughs> but a lot of things in my everyday life that like a little fall or something like that, that would have actually really hurt me. I just pop back up and I'm like, yeah, 
you know, the ground used to be something to me that was, I mean, it was danger. Yeah. Like if 300 Rob Bailey ever hit the ground or even someone said, oh, lay on the ground, it'd be like, well, here I go. This and then I'll I lay die. on the ground and it's like, <laughs> all right, Dana, call a couple people to get me up. And like, it was funny and all those things, but now being able to like jump on the ground with Kai or roll around and hop back up and not even really remember that I was just on the ground. Yeah. Dude, it's so cool. That's priceless, right? The 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 value that that adds to my life is yeah. is is insanity. Yeah. And uh, and knowing that it's there now, it's like, oh, I want to make it better and I want to maintain it. Yeah. So thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate man. that, man. That's one feeling that I I want to always have in my life is just knowing that whatever I tell my body to do, it'll do it. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I'm probably gonna have you again because I think that was really good and there's probably tons more to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So, man. all right, dude, signing out. Signing out. Uh, wait. Say goodnight, Dana. Say goodnight, Dana. Goodnight, Dana. Goodnight, Dana.